0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Charts with Dan. We're going to jump right into it because I have to run off to a screening tonight. So let's get right into the weekend box office. We knew that Eternals was going to be number one this weekend. It was number one, but there is so much to go into from the opening number to the audience response to the critical response. So let's look, first of all, at what the box office was this past weekend. Eternals number one was $71.2 million. That's where the final number came in. That is on the lower end of the estimates going into the weekend. But there were other estimates that were much, much higher about Eternals and where it might open we're going to get into that in just a moment but let's look at where it ranks as far as 2021 71.2 million dollars that's good enough for Eternals to have the fourth biggest opening weekend of the year Venom Let There Be Carnage still number one with 90 million dollars then two other MCU titles Black Widow at 80 million dollars Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings at 75 million dollars we have Eternals there at number four and it edges out F9 with 70 million dollars that bumps No Time to Die off of the list this year so let's look first of all at this 71.2 71.2 million number and why some people are considering it a disappointment because if you look at the coverage of this box office a lot of people are saying it's a solid number a lot of people saying it's a disappointing number and that's because expectations for this movie were all over the map partially because of what we often see reported which were the pre-sales this was something that came out uh, back on October 13th uh, this was in on, in several different outlets but about Eternals first day advance tickets uh, beating Shang-Chi and Black Widow AMCC's biggest day one pre sales of the year. This is an article from Deadline. And based on those pre-sales, people started to project Eternals above Black Widow, above above Shang-Chi, saying uh, that this could be the first $100 million opening post-pandemic. So there were already expectations that were set that this film did not meet. One of those reasons is that pre-sales is a very faulty metric. We've talked about this before on the show. Uh, There is a need to generate news and and headlines and whatnot, and pre-sales figures are one way uh, that a lot of outlets do that. But pre-sales are not very predictive of what a box office final result is going to be. For example, this was a story that ran just a couple of days before No Time to Die opened, saying that uh, the pre-sales were outpacing Venom Let There Be Carnage on Fandango, that the pre-sales were going to be the best for any James Bond movie, so a lot of people were sort of targeting uh, No Time to Die for a huge opening, and then when it didn't reach that opening, said that it was a, a disappointing opening and again that's based on uh, on on a faulty premise that pre-sales are predictive of what is upcoming for the sales of a movie. Of course, James Bond opened $45 million lower than Let There Be Carnage. It was the fourth highest opening uh, Bond film of all time behind three other Daniel Craig movies, so to set that expectation was unrealistic based on the final performance of the film, and that's because pre-sales are only a small slice of the box office for any given movie. Now, sometimes they can be predictive of enthusiasm for a film, uh, like when Black Panther pre-sales were incredibly high. That result bore out a huge opening weekend for the film. But part of it is, and I always say it, you can't track enthusiasm, and that goes both negatively and positively. Black Panther, for example, everybody knew it was gonna be a big opening, but the numbers kept going up over the weekend because people were seeing it, people were talking about it, people were going back. People had actually seen the movie. And I think the same thing happened here with Eternals. Pre-sales may have been strong, but when you get into the week of the movie coming out, reviews start filtering in, we're definitely gonna talk about that, uh, in just a second. People see the movie, word of mouth starts going. So, you know, I've said it before, but as you're navigating around the media sphere and you see these stories about pre-sales and pre-sales for the highest X amount, don't pin your hopes for a movie based on that because they are notoriously unreliable because there's no context. We don't know what percentage of a, of a movie's final gross uh, on opening weekend is going to be pre-sales or how many people cancel, uh, etc. cetera. Um, so that is a faulty way, I think, to, to peg expectations for a movie and i think that there are some expectations for eternals that were unrealistic because people sort of trusted this metric which is not very predictive i think that the 71 million dollars is fine it's nothing remarkable i think one thing that you do have to note is it opened a little bit Underneath Shang-Chi, uh, but Eternals cost about $50 million more to produce than Shang-Chi did. So when we're talking about breaking down the numbers, that's something to consider. Although Eternals also had a lot of tie-in deals. I don't know quite how many Shang-Chi had. There's all of these different um, kind of other things that you, that you need to consider. Uh, but I, I think the the number for Eternals is remarkable in how unremarkable it is. And you know, it definitely didn't have that juice I think that you'd want if you're Marvel, if you're trying to launch this new team. It did not perform like a Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, you know, it, it didn't really surprise people in the way that Shang-Chi did with with this sort of like, oh, it's unproven, how's it going to do? And then it exceeds uh, what people think that it might. Uh, and then the other side of this being the reception for the film, both critically and with the audience. Eternals has turned out to be a very polarizing film, and it's not surprising. It is a very different vibe for the MCU. If you want to see my review of the movie, you can click on the little thing up in the corner there. It was not a movie that I particularly enjoyed, although I didn't hate it. If you're going to go between uh, red tomato and green splat, I gave it a green splat on Rotten Tomatoes. But when we talk about Rotten Tomatoes and the pattern of reviews, I thought it was interesting to point this out because we've actually sort of gone over this ground a little bit earlier this year when we we were talking about Wonder Woman 1984, and we had a similar pattern with. Uh, Eternals. You may have noticed uh, when the first reviews broke, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, this is from their social media account, they tweeted out the first reviews are in from Marvel Studios Eternals. Currently it's fresh at 71% on the tomato meter with 31 reviews. And that is actually how the early reviews went. When you look at the embargo day, and if you don't know what the embargo is, the embargo is basically when uh, people are allowed to submit their reviews, whether it's in writing, whether you're on YouTube, it's the first day that critics are allowed to say anything publicly about the movie and any kind of long-form way, and usually that means that these are the critics that are given the earliest access, either the earliest screenings or the premiere, etc. There's usually different tiers for when people can go see movies, so the people that are submitting reviews on Embargo Day are the first people that have seen the movie in the critical community. Full disclosure, I'm often part of the Embargo Day group of folks for critics. Um, A lot of times I'm part of the second wave, meaning I don't get the first screenings, but I'll get screenings before the movie comes out. With Eternals, I actually didn't see the movie until it came out, so I was part of the later waves of reviews for this film. But there was a similar pattern with the Embargo Day reviews. When we look here, the Embargo Day on Eternals was October 24th. On Rotten Tomatoes, if you look at reviews that were submitted and published on that day, October 24th, there were 38 reviews which is a lower number for Embargo Day. Um, For Shang-Chi, for example, there were 80 plus reviews that were submitted on Embargo Day. I don't know exactly why the number is so much lower here uh, than on a lot of other films and a lot of other MCU films, both pre- and post-pandemic, but only 38 were listed to have been published on Embargo Day and you'll see 27 fresh reviews, 11 rotten reviews for a fresh rating of 71%. That is the rating that was tweeted out by Rotten Tomatoes on Embargo Day. However, following that, things changed for Eternals drastically the next window we're going to look at is pre-release meaning these are the reviews that came out after the embargo dropped but before previews started for the film on thursday night and we see here that the rating drops dramatically There were 139 reviews published. 65 were fresh, 74 were rotten for a rating of 47%. That's 13% below the threshold for a fresh rating, and that's 24% lower than the reviews that were submitted on Embargo Day. And this pattern actually held up when you look at reviews that were published from Thursday uh, when the movie opened for previews to the general public, going through opening weekend and up until yesterday when I compiled all the data uh, for uh, the show. Uh, It's almost an identical rating. You have 111 reviews that were published between Thursday and yesterday, 46 fresh, 65 rotten for a rating of 48%. That's nearly identical to the reviews that were submitted uh, after the embargo, but before the release. Now, when I say this is a similar trend to what we saw with Wonder Woman 1984, let's revisit those results. We did a whole show back in January breaking down the drop in reviews on Wonder Woman 1984. It went from certified fresh eventually to rotten where it sits right now. So it wasn't as pronounced as an, of an effect, but let's look at what that pattern was. You see on embargo day, which was December 15th for Wonder Woman 1984, it was certified fresh at 88%. In the pre-release window, it went down to 63%, still fresh, and then a post-release is when it started coming in rotten. You see 46% rotten. So you saw the same thing generally, which is that the reviews that were released on the day of the embargo The critics that are given the earliest access to the film rated the film substantially higher than reviews that came out after the embargo. And as with Wonder Woman 1984, I can't really ascribe anything to that other than this is just sort of a statistical thing. It's a replicating pattern that we've now seen with two... Somewhat polarizing movies, I think it's safe to say, between Wonder Woman 1984 uh, and Eternals. But there was one interesting difference that I wanted to point out. When we talk about the average score, and it's something that you used to be able to find easily on Rotten Tomatoes that you can't anymore, but I think is far more instructive than the binary fresh rotten rating. Basically, critics can elect to give the movie a score, either a letter grade, which you can convert to a numerical score, or X amount out of four stars or five stars, etc. For those critics that chose... To provide a score for the film, when we look at Wonder Woman 1984, you'll see that on Embargo Day, the average score was 7.5. Pre-release, it dropped to 6.35. The next phase, it dropped down to 5.7. The next phase, it dropped down to 5.4. So you see these big drops, particularly between the first three windows of release, almost a point each time. It was different with Eternals. If we look here at Embargo Day, remember the rating was 71% fresh. The average score was 6.38. The next phase, pre-release, 47% rotten, so keep in mind that's a 24% drop in rating, but the average score drops less than a point to 5.86, so we don't see that huge drop uh, in the average score, which means that the critics who saw these films in the different windows were similarly mixed. Uh, Right around the 6 to 5 range, not the big drop we saw with Wonder Woman 1984. However, we saw many more critics on Embargo Day giving uh, Eternals a fresh rating than we saw give them a fresh rating after the embargo. So that raises a couple of interesting questions. Why is it that so many critics who were the first to publish their reviews, based on similar scores... Uh, Why did they tend to perhaps be a little more lenient on the film and rate it positively as as opposed to critics who published their reviews after had similar feelings but were far more likely to rate their review negatively? Again, I'm not trying to ascribe any kind of motivation here. I just think statistically and numerically, this is a very interesting set of data to look at. And it also goes to show, uh, as a consumer, when you're looking at critical behavior, um, this is a pattern that you may want to pay attention to, which is that we now see with these two films and I'm sure perhaps this this pattern has been replicated with many other films. When you look at the reviews as they're coming in, the earlier the review, if it's a polarizing film especially, the more positive they tend to be, and then over time the reviews get a little more negative. Now, that's not for every single film. I've looked at scores for films. If a film is critically acclaimed, then the pattern tends to replicate itself across the board. The reviews start off positive and they stay positive. This generally happens a lot with movies that are very negatively received. You don't see a huge drop-off between early reviews and later reviews. But with these movies that are kind of in the middle this is something that's worth tracking for a polarizing film it seems like the earlier that a review is published the more likely it is to be positive just something to keep in mind the other interesting thing to note with Eternals is that it was not only the lowest rated film uh, by the Rotten Tomatoes metric when you look at cinema score which is something we've talked about on the show quite a lot it was also the lowest rated film in MCU history there Eternals got a B CinemaScore. That's the lowest that any audience has ever rated an MCU movie on opening night. If you're not familiar with CinemaScore, it is a service that goes out, they poll moviegoers on the opening night, so on the opening Friday uh, to see what they thought of different movies. Generally it is not an indication of a film's quality, It's, it's usually an indication of what is an audience expecting from a film and did it meet those expectations and we can see here with Eternals and I guess this is no surprise because it is a very different film in the MCU that many audience members uh, did not get what they expected and uh, there was a negative uh, consequence to that. When we look at the MCU films by CinemaScore, you'll see uh, three of them, Avengers Black Panther and Avengers Endgame got an A+. Uh, The vast majority of them, 16 Marvel films, received an A cinema score. Then we have five Marvel films that got an A-, one Marvel film that until now was the lowest rated Marvel film on cinema score, which is Thor the Dark World with a B plus, and Eternals now with a B, the lowest cinema score in the history of the MCU. So what does that tell us about the future? Well, it's a little troubling if you're looking at the future performance of Eternals, because uh, again, I did a video when I was back at Fandom about the cinema score and how it relates to what a movie's going to do in the future, how it legs out at the box office, and one thing we've noticed is that the lower the cinema score, the less it makes over time, and when you look at that B cinema score, that is indicative of a very mixed word of mouth. That means that a movie is less likely to have that buzz as you go along, for people to go back to see it and continue in continuing weeks, they'll say, well, I'll wait and see it at home or whatever, but the other thing that you might be worried about, if you're Kevin Feige and the people over at Marvel, is that those opening night crowds generally are the most enthusiastic. Marvel fans that there are. And so if you've lost some of them, those are also the people that go back and see your movie two or three or four times. So you're not only losing the business that you might get from word of mouth, you're also losing potentially on some of that repeat business. That's something we're going to keep track of when we look at Eternals going forward. Does that cinema score hurt the legs as it goes along? And we keep tracking how it does against other Marvel movies in the box office in general. It's a very crowded season coming up. We have Ghostbusters in a couple weeks. Uh, We've got Spider-Man in about a month. So Eternals is going to have to really make an impact to hang around. There's one last thing that I wanted to address when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes in particular, and that is something that I saw this weekend. Uh, I was on social media, which is almost never a good idea, uh, and I saw this clip from a show that Variety does called The Take, and these are some comments that were made uh, by a colleague of mine named Clayton Davis, so why don't I roll the clip, and then we'll discuss what's said there. Critics have weighed in on it and it has been very divisive, actually drawing the lowest rated Rotten Tomatoes score of any MCU film in history thus far. First of all, Elizabeth, it is not a bad movie in the slightest. I think it's one of Marvel's best efforts thus far. I think this speaks to a larger problem that is in the industry. Anytime a woman takes on the action genre, which has been typically made for men to helm, People come harder on that filmmaker when she takes it on. I think it's I think it's the issue that needs to be addressed because it does not draw that criticism that it's been receiving. I agree with you hundred percent. Right when you started talking about this, I said, hmm, imagine that. The mm. film that is directed by a woman has the lowest score on Rotten Tomatoes. Not warranted. First of all, I just want to say that I respect Clayton as a colleague. He is well-established in the awards coverage game. Uh, He has been working in this industry for a very long time. He serves on the board over at Critics' Choice. I am a member of that organization. I don't mind saying that I voted for him to have the position on the board. So I support him, I support his work, but I have to wholeheartedly disagree with the comments that he made along with his co-host Elizabeth Wagmeister. Is there bias against female directors in the film industry? Absolutely, there is. Is there a dire need for more female critics in the critical industry? Absolutely there is. Do female directors and stars face more toxicity? Online than their male counterparts 100% They absolutely do But I want to address the comments that were made Specifically here against Rotten Tomatoes critics And their reaction to Eternals And the criticism there was That anytime a woman takes over uh, An action film That the critics are harder on her Than they are on male directors Which I take that as uh, Basically an accusation of gender bias And I think that not only Is that untrue but it's provably Untrue. It's factually untrue, and I just want to look at some of the examples that prove that this isn't the case. Inside the comic book genre, we have Wonder Woman, a certified fresh hit at 93%. Just earlier this summer, Black Widow, 79% fresh, a certified hit. Birds of Prey and The Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn the longest title I can think of a movie that I enjoyed critics again 79% certified fresh Captain Marvel uh, Anna Bowden obviously a co-director of that film 79% fresh certified on Rotten Tomatoes just last year The Old Guard from uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood uh, 80% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes then when you step out of that it even go to the action genre in general we have The Matrix and The Matrix Reloaded both certified fresh we have Revenge which is such a great movie. It was on my top 10 for that list. 93% certified fresh. Last summer, we had Nicky Caro and Mulan, 73% certified fresh. A Destroyer from Karin Kusama, 74% certified fresh. Kung Fu Panda 2, also an action film, 81% certified fresh. And then, of course, we have the career of Catherine Bigelow, who's made some of the greatest action movies uh, of her era. Near Dark, certified fresh at 81%. Point Break, fresh at 69%. Strange Days, fresh at 65%. These are just the examples that I called from the 25 highest rated action films directed by women on IMDb. Now, you have to go embarrassingly far down that list to find 25 action films who are directed by women, and that is an inequity that we do need to look at and we do need to solve. But what I'm speaking to here is the specific... I would almost say accusation made against critics on Rotten Tomatoes, which is this accusation of gender bias in the case of Eternals. In fact, according to my research, I looked at all of the reviews that were submitted for Eternals. Female critics rated Eternals 36% fresh, which is a full nine points lower than their male counterparts who on average rated Eternals at 45% fresh. So we actually had a situation with Eternals where female critics were harder on the film than male critics were. Now, 75% of the critics were male, and that is another iniquity that needs to be looked at and needs to be solved. And I think that Rotten Tomatoes has made some steps in the right direction in the past few years to help to solve that imbalance. Uh, But there is industry-wide action that needs to be taken, and then there's what's being talked about specifically in the comments that were made here. False narratives are something that are running rampant uh, across every area of the internet right now, and movie media is not immune. I, I did a whole show when Captain Marvel came out back when I was at Fandom to try to debunk the false narratives around that movie because people were saying that its success was unearned or faked or whatever. And my guess is that Clayton and I probably agree on way more things than we disagree on sometimes the things that you need to talk about are coming from the mouths of a friend or a colleague and it's not easy to, to kind of stand up and say those things but at the same time I think that they need to be said so I'm going to kind of keep my ear to the ground um, usually the disinformation tends to run unfairly kind of in the other way uh, in many ways what Clayton was saying uh, against projects that are starring women or directed by women and I will be on the lookout to try to debunk those if we have another situation like we did with Captain Marvel but that's something that I to point out based on those comments Moving on from that, if you can remember last year, we actually talked about the box office weekend this weekend. Let's wrap that up looking at the rest of the top five. Dune in its second week dropped about 50% to $7.7 million. No Time to Die still in the top five in its fifth week with $6 million. Venom Let There Be Carnage at number four, staying in the top five for a sixth week at $4.4 million. And in its third week, returning to the top five, I believe, Ron's Gone Wrong with $3.5 million looking at the movie that got the top per theater average for the weekend no surprise here it is eternals and 4090 theaters it brought in $17,000 per theater regardless of the reaction if you're a theater owner that's another number that you like to see because that means a good amount of people that are walking through your doors we've been tracking the box office weekend by weekend compared really to 2019 and this was another weekend where we said well If Eternals overperforms, we could pass the 2019 box office on a weekend-by-weekend basis. This was weekend number 45, and as you can see, we had an uptick uh, in the box office, but because Eternals was a little more muted than perhaps some would have expected, we did not bypass the 2019 box office when we compare week to week. So we'll see if that happens. I mean, there's a shot here or there, but I think now Spider-Man No Way Home may be the best shot. I mean, Ghostbusters could go through the stratosphere. You never really know, uh, but we keep getting close weekend-by-weekend weekend to potentially bypassing the box office business on the equivalent weekend in 2019 but we just can't quite get there we'll see if in the next month or so we're able to do that Looking at the limited release films, so these are movies that were in 1,000 or fewer theaters. Uh, Number one was Spencer, which was able to come in just under the threshold at 996 theaters. It made $2.1 million. I think that was a disappointment to some who thought that uh, the enhanced interest around uh, Princess Diana and Kristen Stewart's performance, there's been a lot of Oscar buzz and awards buzz around that performance, might bring that movie to a bigger box office total. Uh, It did not get a huge total, but it was the number one movie in specialty release you <laughs> this past weekend. At number two is another film uh, from India. We've talked about how well they're doing and we keep seeing them here on the box office charts. This one is called Vanshi. It was uh, delayed by the pandemic back in 2020, but uh, was released this past weekend in conjunction with the Diwali celebration. This is a Hindi language film and you can see $1.3 million in just under 500 theaters. The Souvenir Part 2 continues its very limited run, 15 theaters, but an increase in business over last. Last week with $40,000. The Rescue, which is a documentary film, stays here in the top five with $35,000. And at number five, A Mouthful of Air, starring Amanda Seyfried. this is a drama written and directed by Amy Koppelman, comes in at number five with $34,000. Now, one thing that should be noted is that the Netflix film Red Notice was on a number of screens. Uh, they have a deal to, to release their films, particularly in Cinemark theaters and other chains, before they stream on Netflix. However, as they have done with all All of their other films, including Roma and The Irishman, Netflix does not report numbers. So there were estimates coming in from industry sources that the movie made between $1 and $1.2 million this weekend. If Netflix had reported those box office numbers, it would be on this chart. It would have been one of the top five uh, in in limited release. However, uh, I I cannot go off of third-party estimates and report them as official numbers. I wish that Netflix would report those numbers so that I could report them to you. Uh, But many people saying, were you going to include the estimates for Red Notice? Um, No, because Netflix uh, still continues to dig their heels in the ground and say that we're not going to report the numbers. But that's where it would have ranked if Netflix was putting numbers out. Looking outside the domestic market, let's look at the top five films internationally. Eternals did well around the globe, $90.7 million. That's a strong performance, stronger than some had anticipated. No Time to Die remains number two, $27.2 million. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, still racking up money at $11.4 million. Dune in fourth place at $11.1 1 million. And The Battle at Lake Shangjin, which is the number one global grocer for 2021, still in the top five with $8.6 million. When you combine the international market with the domestic market we get the worldwide numbers and eternals was the number one movie worldwide again 161.7 million dollars that is a strong debut uh, around the globe no time to die in second with 33.4 million dollars dune at number two worldwide with 18.7 million venom at number four with 15.8 million and the battle at late shangjin stays there in fifth place with just over 8.6 million dollars Looking at the 2021 domestic chart, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings remains number one, followed by Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Black Widow, F9, and The Quiet Place Part 2. No Time to Die, Free Guy, Jungle Cruise, and Godzilla vs. Kong remain at numbers 6 through 9. And new on the chart this week is Halloween Kills at $89.7 million. That knocks off Cruella after a long stint on the 2021 domestic chart. However, that is going to be short-lived because barring a complete collapse, Eternals is going to take that spot next week. So Halloween Kills is going to enjoy one lovely weekend atop the 2021 domestic top 10 before it is slashed by Eternals let's look at the 2021 top 10 worldwide the battle at late shangjin number one high mom number two f9 at number three detective chinatown three at number four and no time to die at number five no change there godzilla vs kong is at number six venom let there be carnage moves above shang chi and the legend of the ten rings worldwide it goes up to number seven shang chi and the legend of the ten rings drops down one spot it's made 395.8 million dollars worldwide black widow is at number nine and dune breaks into the 2021 top 10 worldwide with a $330 million gross. Before we look at what people are watching on the streaming services, let's do a flashback. It's something that I enjoy doing. And we're going to the weekend of November 7th through the 9th, 2003. The Matrix Revolutions opened to $48.4 million. And here we are 18 years later, hotly awaiting a new entry in the Matrix franchise. I don't know if you remember this, but I certainly didn't. Elf opened the same weekend as the Matrix Revolutions in number two with $32.1 million. Brother Bear was the third place film in its third week with $18.5 million, followed by scary movie 3 with 11.1 million dollars and who yikes radio in week 3 with 7.2 million dollars if you don't know radio don't look it up another quick thing to note uh love actually also opened the same week uh in its first week it was just outside the top five at 6.8 million dollars so on the same weekend in 2003 we got the openings of the matrix revolutions elf and love actually crazy how this stuff lines up sometimes Let's close out the show by looking at the streaming charts and we will start with what people are watching on Amazon. Free Guy is number one, followed by Dangerous, a new entry onto the rental chart. Stillwater is at number three, F9 at number four, Old is at number five, Don't Breathe 2 is at number six, and then we have some new entries. 22 Jump Street is at number seven, and I was wondering why 22 Jump Street, but that's actually going to be answered in just a moment. Black Widow is at number eight, Paw Patrol the movie is at number nine, and The Green Knight is at number 10. Looking at what people are watching over on iTunes, free guys at number one, Pig, which is available for purchase. And I don't know if it's still available for 99 cent rental, but it was this past week. And if it still is, that is a bargain at five times the price. Go see Pig, one of my favorite movies this year. Now available to watch at home. Followed by Old Stillwater. Old Henry, a popular streaming movie, returns to the iTunes chart. And then six new entries or returning entries The Alpinist at number six, The Protege at number seven, Dangerous also entering the chart here at number eight, F9 at number nine, and Paw Patrol the Movie at number 10. Let's look at the top 10 over on Netflix. At number one is The Harder They Fall, the Western starring Idris Elba. That is a pretty good movie. I watched it the other night. I I enjoyed that movie. Love Hard, which I did not watch, is a Netflix original movie. At number two, a new entry to the series. The Netflix series Big Mouth is at number three. The Netflix series You at number four. At number five, the Netflix series Narcos Mexico with new episodes comes in. At number 6, Squid Game, still on the top 10. At number 7, 21 Jump Street. So my guess is that people watched 21 Jump Street on Netflix and said, hey, I want to see the sequel, and went and rented 22 Jump Street from Amazon. That's just a theory of mine. At number 8 is Catching Killers, a Netflix series. At number 9 is Army of Thieves, which was top of the charts last week. And at number 10, in its 33rd straight week, is Coco Melon. Which, um, you know, first of all, yay for Coco Melon in its 33rd straight week. But I have a question to ask you people, which is do you think this is a game? Do you think you can just willy nilly push Coco Melon to number 10? Do you really think you want to deal with the consequences if Coco Melon were to fall off of this chart? Listen and understand, okay? Coco Melon is out there it can't be bargained with it can't be reasoned with it doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear and it absolutely will not stop until we all know our abcs so let's stop messing around with coco melon here people and let's get it back to at least number eight by next week because i don't think that any of you are ready to deal with the consequences if this thing were to drop off of the chart And finally, looking at the Netflix movie chart, The Harder They Fall is at number one. At number two is Love Hard. 21 Jump Street is at number three. Army of Thieves at number four. American Gangster at number five. Replicas is at number six. Montford is at number seven. Amina is at number eight. Yara, a Netflix original, is at number nine. And at number ten is The General's Daughter. And that wraps it up here for us on charge today. A couple of announcements. Number one, as always, be sure if you haven't yet subscribed to the audio version of the channel, you can find all those links down in the description below. Uh, you will get not only audio versions of everything that we have here on the channel, but also audio exclusive reviews, etc. So we'd love to have you come and join us that way. Also, big news. A lot of you have asked what's going on with the live show. You used to do this live show and then you haven't done it in a few months. We were working out some details, but I'm very happy to announce that the live show will be returning. And You don't have to wait that long because it's coming back this week. That's right. This Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific time. 5 p.m. Eastern Time, and whatever time it is where you are, we will be coming back with the live show. We'll be talking about news. We'll be playing some games. We'll be having fun. I'm excited to bring it back, and uh, I'm excited to have you come back and join us. The audio version of the show will also be on the audio channel, so if you want to take it to go, I know it's a bit of a longer show. You're able to do that now. So usually I say you'll see me next week for reviews, et cetera, which you definitely will because I've got a backlog of stuff I want to talk about. But I will also see you back here on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time 5 p.m. Eastern time for the live show. I can't wait to get it relaunched. Thank you to everybody who's watching. Stay safe and I'll see you next time. Bye.